Oh, oh, one more thing. Welcome to Just One More Thing, the podcast where we try to go through every episode of Columbo. I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. Tonight's episode, Swan Song, originally broadcast on March 3rd, 1974, starring Johnny Cash, Ida Lupino, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. And each episode will be joined by a special guest to also discuss the program. Um, this time, it's Leonard Pierce, who we'll uh, get to in a minute. Uh, but first of all, we should probably explain a little bit, this being the first pilot episode and all, uh, what this is. Uh, Columbo was a detective show starring Peter Falk back in the 1970s, uh, brought back in the 1980s. Uh, but basically, uh, the structure of the show was such that you saw the murder in the first 20, 30 minutes of the program. So we're not going to be, well, aside from the fact that these aired 40 years ago, we're not going to be spoiling anything for you. And that was kind of the fun of the whole thing. That you saw the murder, and the rest of the program was just seeing the twists and turns and Columbo just getting closer and closer and just driving these murderers crazy, uh, getting to, like, actually solving the case. That's a concise summary. All right, there you go. I think a lot of the charm, of, a lot of the charm of the show too, and I'm, I'm sure anyone who ever watches it uh, picks up on this, is that Peter Falk created, just crafted an incredibly charismatic uh, and compelling character with just a handful of the most irritating mannerisms on the planet. Right, and and the great thing was the mannerisms, <laughs> and we'll get to this in this episode. It has a lot of good examples. Uh, the, the mannerisms were definitely on purpose, just to throw these people off. To get right. them to just sweat it out. You know, I, I got thinking about it because <clears throat> uh, uh, when you were describing how Columbo uh, started with the murder, and then we just slowly see how Columbo's able to piece together the actual uh, the murder case, and the way that the, the NBC mur- uh, murder mystery Monday murder mystery movie, the Monday murder Sunday movie Sunday murder mystery mm-hmm. movie used to alternate uh, its cast. I'm wondering, how much do you think Law & Order CI was influenced by this? Oh, probably a lot. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It took me a long fucking time to get to that, didn't it? Yeah, no, it's fine. <clears throat> it's fine. You got there. But it no, they good. especially when... and they, uh, Part of that was necessity, because Vincent Genoffrey eventually had to sign off on it. But they started cycling in the other detectives. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think no. We I, just, mean, it, it's... I think we just, we just drew a straight line. We just accomplished something good. There you go. The... But it was enough to save the show. Uh, you know, I, I kind of... It, it's kind of a shame. I don't think that... Because that, uh, Columbo, which is really good as a mystery program, I think. And I'm sure yeah, we get to, uh, when Leonard comes on, he can definitely uh, talk about this because he's a huge... Uh, well-read in that genre. Um, it seems to me like a lot of the, the cop shows... We were talking about this before the program. Um, don't really do this. Certainly. It's a, they're just straight up police procedurals, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that seems like that's kind of the trend nowadays. You don't have a lot of odd, quirky cops like that. Or if you have no. them, the shows don't last very long, really. Yeah, after the 80s, they stopped doing a lot of you know, genius detectives who were chess champions or something like that. Right. I mean, they've come <clears> up <throat> once in a while, but not not that much. They don't no, they, do they as really well as just them grinding it out. Okay, here's how the uh, criminal justice system works. There you go. We're done. Yeah, and then like, uh, what was that? The uh, 
Probe, the show that was written by Isaac Asimov, I think is the last one I can remember, that had a really bizarre premise, and it was just that the guy was like a rationalist uh, skeptic. I never saw that. What? You've really? never heard of Probe? Probe seems I, I, like I, I vaguely remember the title and that Isaac Asimov, I remember seeing the ads, but I didn't yeah. know what the heck it was about. And it's a very uncomfortable title for a show. It is. Not, I wouldn't. That might be why no. I didn't see it. Uh, it's certainly not one of my top five titles, but no, I, it seems like it's right up your alley. Perhaps we'll do a little. We'll uh, get you some episodes, and you can we can do a bit of a diversion on it. One podcast. All right, we'll see. We got All right. have plenty of time for that. All right, so let's start talking about Swan Song, in which Absolutely. Johnny Cash murders Ida Lupino. Leonard, welcome to the program. Hello there, RJ. John, how are you? Doing swell, hey Lenny. Not too bad. Um, so let me ask you first off, uh, you, how did you, were you, were you much of a Columbo watcher? Like, how did you uh, get to Columbo, as it were? Uh, well, I was a latchkey kid, so I watched a lot of shitty TV when I was a boy. <laughs> um, I was not really into crime shows at the time, bizarrely enough, given how my future would play out, but the two that I watched pretty much relentlessly were... Uh, the Rockford Files and Columbo. Yeah, it's something about the vibe of those two that was markedly different from all the other cop shows on TV. Um, you know, I will mention that you guys were talking about how you know the era of the quirky detective has kind of played itself out, and there aren't that many anymore. And I would agree with that for the most part. But uh, you know, John, this is something we were talking about uh, earlier this week. Is that uh, I feel like Monk was sort of in the oh yeah oh yeah 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 <clears throat> that's actually a great point I I you know it's weird I hardly ever think of that show anymore which is strange yeah it's I not, have to it's a great I have show to, I have to confess my ignorance there too because you know I've never seen an episode of Monk oh it's not really a great show but it's in that vein in that it's this you know instead of being just quirky and having the class elements that Columbo does he's more like a you know, his thing is that he's obsessive compulsive and, you know, he has all these psychological tics, but it's still this, this guy who's supposed to have, everybody underestimates him because he's, you know, on the surface, he seems like kind of a fuck up. Yeah. And, right. Uh, so it's, you know, it's in that vein, but, uh, uh, it's not quite as good, you know? Yeah. Was Monk, uh, associated with the police department? Because this is something I'm noticing with the quirky detective. Yeah, he, he was like, a one-time cop, but then left the force yeah. after his wife was murdered, and he kind of went really off the deep end with the OCD. And then he's mm -hmm. brought in as a consulting detective sometimes on, yeah, big cases. Because, like, uh, one of the things that uh, struck me about Dexter is that of the, all the characters to make a cop, and I know that's the, the frisson of the show, but, of course, he's a serial killer, and, and naturally, of course, he's an active working cop. He's not, not even a cop. He's an evidence technician. Yeah, for, he's a forensics guy. Yeah. He works in the police department, brings him donuts. But if there's, uh, if there's one thing, you know, I, um, I, when I was, uh, during my very brief uh, attempt at going to college, uh, I went to, uh, I minored in criminal justice. And if you ever want to ruin your enjoyment of all cop shows ever, do that. Oh, yeah, because you know exactly how it happens, and it's nowhere near, yeah. The, the first thing that will, that will ruin every cop or detective show for you is that you always, the first thing you ask is, wait, how is this his jurisdiction? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> involved in this case, you know. And you would uh, always, speaking... I, I know that they jumped over, uh, 
in in Dexter especially, they jumped over tons of hurdles to try and explain how a blood spatter technician was constantly on the scene of every crime that took place, you know. Well, speaking of crossing jurisdictions, Swan Song actually begins with Columbo getting out of L.A. Oh, that's yep. right, yeah, yes. Yeah. Investigating a Bakersfield airplane crash. Actually, I think that the plane crashed in L.A. It left it? out of Oh, Baker. yeah, it was, it, was, it was like in the mountains, just outside of L.A. Yeah. But you know what? Let's, we'll get there. Let's start from the very <laughs> beginning. Right. Uh, we first see um, this, this outdoor music arena, presumably in Bakersfield. Uh, so it's in a very hip place for him to be playing. Uh, Johnny Cash is tied around. RJ, that's not all we saw. No, we, we were. also we also saw the light. That's that's true. We saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. No more for, night. For the first of twenty times. So uh, Johnny Cash, <laughs> we, we soon find out he's a musician. Surprisingly enough, uh, what's his name? Tommy Brown. And what's mm. the name of his band, RJ? Tommy Brown and the what is it, the Crusaders, the Lost Crusade. The Lost Soul Crusaders. The Lost, Soul, Lost Soul Crusaders. And they've got a big show in um, uh, Bakersfield that night, at, I guess the Bakersfield Bowl or something. And it, it's really kind of neat because they uh, mix some fo- actual footage from a Johnny Cash concert with footage that very obviously does not look like a Johnny Cash concert. <laughs> there's like there's like uh, footage from nine different concerts in yes, that sequence. Yeah. Well, clearly and, none of them are in the building that they were filming that intro in. And uh, so, and of course, the, you're seeing this huge, sold-out, giant show, and um, they're singing "I Saw the Light" because apparently, um, gospel music is huge at this point uh, in American popular music. Um, yeah. Leonard, as yes. someone who has uh, written extensively about music, was that really the case in 1973 or 74? Was gospel music really at the top of the charts? Well, it wasn't really, oh, okay. uh, but I will say. I mean, Johnny Cash made that period of his career. Um, I mean, he was always singing gospel songs, and it was in a country way, so right. it sold to the country crowd. Oh, and so it been, and yeah, that okay. was not entirely a weird time to be singing that kind of music, because keep in mind that was around the time that, that Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar were big. Oh, okay. You know, early 70s. So you had the, uh, what do they call them, the... the Jesus hippies, the <laughs> uh, what were they called? The um, Jesus freaks. They call them the yeah, Jesus yeah, freaks. Yeah, Jesus right. freaks. Yeah. yeah, that was the era of the Jesus freaks. So <laughs> it's not inconceivable that Johnny Cash <laughs> would sell out a concert singing gospel music, especially in Bakersfield, which is the yeah. country, the capital of California. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so, so we see. You know, uh, you know like about that, that? Oh, sorry. We've all got so much to talk about this horrible like uh, uh, stitching together of the concert footage and then those eight people in a closet <laughs> right. pretending to sing along. What I love best is uh, right at the end when the, the audience is really getting into uh, I Saw the Light and they start clapping along and it's supposed to be a, 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 an auditorium full of about 5,000 people clapping but it's clearly six people like mm-hmm. behind the cameras just sound, it sounds terrifically phony. Do you know what my favorite thing about this whole lead-up was? Is the scene where uh, Tommy Brown, excuse me, we're just going to call him Johnny yeah, Cash. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Johnny, Johnny Cash. Cash. Yes, Johnny Cash. Yeah. yeah, where Johnny Cash is telling his flunky, you know, about how they're going to set up the concert tonight. Oh, Luke, Luke, the brother-in-law Luke. Yeah, Luke, yeah, yeah. Luke Basket, if you, if you please. Yes. Um, 
and he mentions what he does not want to see during the show, <laughs> and it's the most ridiculous thing ever. He says, I don't want to see any candy hawkers and picture sellers. <laughs> it's in his writer. It's in his writer. He can't yeah, no, I don't I want no candy problem, hawkers. Right? Like whenever you go to a concert, there's always people selling candy and pictures. <laughs> well these do and then and then, and then the uh, Luke who turns out to be his brother in law says like, Oh, oh, oh don't worry, Tommy, I'll take care of that and, and Johnny Cash is so sarcastic to him, like, oh, yeah, I know you do. Yeah, like, you do a good he's job. He's being kind of a jerk to him. But you find out why he's being a jerk to him, of course, later well, on. Yeah, because he lets in all the candy sellers. Well, yes, and the picture hawkers. He's shit at it. He's shit at getting rid of the candy That's sellers. That's right. Uh, so we get through the show. We go backstage. And the ladies, apparently the young ladies, love Johnny Cash's brand of gospel music. They've what was that girl, they, like 14, by the way? Yeah, which, well, that, that enters uh, into things. That enters into things. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it's... That seems odd to me too. Like the, these girls, they come to a, a show for some like a, a Bible crusade, almost like a Chihuahua tent kind of program, and they're going backstage. And they want to make out with this guy who just sang like uh, probably two hours of gospel music. Is that uh, a thing? Is that? Well, let me, let me introduce you to a, a young fellow okay. from the 1960s, RJ. Yes. yes. His name was Sam Cooke. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Sam Cooke was probably the most famous gospel singer in the world at That's the time. That's a good point. Okay. And he sure did like fucking the young ladies. <laughs> All right, then. Then carry on, Tommy Brown. I, I have noticed that many religious figures involve themselves with hot young stuff. That is true. You know what? I guess that has been a trend. I've overlooked. You're right. Yeah. That, that is usually how they end up getting into trouble. But of course, when you're Johnny Cash and you're macking on the young ladies, this brings down the wrath of who? Ida Lupino. That's uh, right. Ida Lupino should wife. be like a... I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law. Wait, did, you say his, did you say it was his wife? Yeah, that's his wife. Ida no, Lupino Ida is his... his... No, no Ida Lupino. Edna Brown no, is... That's his wife. That's his wife. As we find out later on... Uh, she discovered him in some uh, Arkansas uh, prison farm, recognized his musical talent, got him out of there, and they made a deal that he would marry her, she would get him popular, uh, they'd make a lot of money, but now she wants all of the money to, like, $5 million to make this tabernacle uh, for their religious crusade, and he's had it. He wants to be a musician. He wants to be a big-time rock star. He wants to drive the Rolls Royce. He wants to drive... The fancy cars, and she will not let him have any of it. He wants that young stuff too. That's that's right, because we find out. Um, actually, there's a couple of. I, I I I like this episode a lot. I love the show, but there's a couple of clumsy things in there. Uh, <coughs> when she's in the office uh, with the guys who run the arena, and they're working out the the receipts and everything like that, and the guy who runs the arena says like, "So, are you really building that five million dollar tabernacle next week?" <laughs> Oh, there's that plot point. And then later on, she's going into uh, Johnny Cash's dressing room, and her brother-in-law, Luke, goes, What is it you got on him, anyways? Oh, I'll tell you when the time is right. So right away you know, oh, okay, this is leading up to, to bad stuff somehow. Can and it's just it's two very huge, hit-you-over-the-head ways to show you, like, okay, pay attention to this. These are big things. Can we take a moment to talk about the casting of Ida Lupino in that role? That's so strange. Yeah. I want to have a long conversation because I honestly did think thing. she was the mother-in-law. No, she yeah. is. His, she is I, looked it, I looked it up. I know I'm, you guys are right. 
she's absolutely the wife, and I'm baffled now. Yes, no, because... I got to no one in my love of Ida Lupino. She was a bombshell when she, she was, was a, young. And she was she was, she was, she was a groundbreaking uh, director, behind-the-scenes the person, too. It was The a, only woman to ever direct a film noir during the classic period. Oh, which one did she direct? Uh, Hitchhiker. Oh. A fine film, if you ever get around to watching it. And she was not only a groundbreaking director of film noir, but of films in general. Yeah. She was one of the first women to become a fairly prolific director. Right. She was a great actress, but that's the worst role in the world for her. She's like, <laughs> she has no She's a... southern accent whatsoever. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's she, so she, odd. Like, she looks like she comes from a, I mean, she does come from a different continent than Johnny Cash. <laughs> and, like, she sells, like, when she's singing, I saw the light, she looks like your high school music teacher. <laughs> When you when you get a good look at, at the women in the chorus, half of them look like they were not told they should be singing. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that is... And the, uh, and the guy playing Luke, her brother, has a very deep and thick southern accent. Oh, yeah, no, the guy the guy playing is Luke is, is like an extra character from um, Dukes of Hazzard, kind of. I mean, it, it's, yeah, he's, he's a very, very, yeah, southern kind of guy. And it's, yeah, that's, uh, it's very that's peculiar. Bill- that's Bill McKinney. He uh, tends to play cowboys as a character actor. No, I could see that for With sure. A lot of cowboys behind his back. Yep. Um. So yeah, Ida Lupino, she's got this iron hold on him, and and he's threatening. And so Johnny Cash, he's threatening to leave, uh, break up the whole group. And, and what's the uh, what's the blackmail she's got on him? The blackmail she's got on him is um, Mary Ann, who is one of the uh, young ladies in the chorus. And who's, Eric, on screen, who's on screen for a, a half an hour and has one line? Yes, this is this is, this is not this is not a very good episode uh, for uh, women characters, is what we'll say. It's not uh, not a lot of meaty roles that are very deep, um, but it turns out Marianne, um, well, uh, Tommy apparently was taking her home to her motels uh, when uh, she yeah, was only sixteen. Like a- He's doing a humper oh, thing with so her. The, so the, uh, the mad act is invoked, and the actual phrase statutory rape, and that's it. That, that you know, shuts him down right there. But he's got a plan. He's got a plan for that very night. an incredibly overly elaborate plan. Oh, it's an elaborate plan. So we watch, and I, I really like, they leave the room. He calls the, the weather bureau uh, to find out what the conditions are going to be for uh, flying a tiny plane over the uh, Los Angeles mountains that night. Oh, it's very crashy, Mr. Brown. <laughs> yes. it's, it's super crashy, Mr. Brown. You're going to have some real problems. Uh, and so once everyone's out of the room, he starts taking out uh, thir- coffee thermos. He starts uh, mm-hmm. doing something with a parachute and a bag. And he takes some pills out of his guitar case and dumps them in the thermos. And you know what? I like this sequence, though, uh, because the directing is really, like, the editing is really strange. And that it just keeps cutting, like, middle of action, middle of action. So it yeah. seems very... Strange is Johnny Elto. Uh, maybe we should mention this point. Who directed this episode? I almost forgot about that. Uh, Nicholas, yeah, Coach. Nicholas Colasanto. You may know, know a little bit better as Coach from Cheers, who was a very prolific uh, television director back in the 1970s. I yeah. uh, did this one. So, and he has, uh, apparently has quite a unique style and a weird way of shooting the interior of a plane. Yes, yes, that's right. You know, one of the things <laughs> I've forgotten about Columbo, because I have not seen it in many years, you know, until I had to prep for this show... Is I'm so used to TV dramas being an hour long. Oh yeah. That I forgot that these 
you know, Monday Night Mysteries and stuff, they were movie length. Yeah, you're you're ready for oh, yeah. it to kind of wrap up at a certain point. Like, yeah, they're oh, like, we've got oh, there's, a, there's a few more chapters to go. There's like a lot more beats to go in this thing. Yeah, so like, when, yeah, and they were going through his his plan, like when he was setting up his murder plan. I was like, God, this is so complicated. Why is this? <laughs> like, why is this so elaborate? And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. They have plenty of time. They got time. They got they got room to breathe. Boy, and yeah. Yeah, speaking of room to breathe, though, there's a lot in this episode. Yeah. As, a com- as complicated a plan as that was, it's still probably going to have been half an hour. And we'll get into that. There's some character actors who get a lot of uh, screen time in this thing. Right. So, just, just, so, so we know what's going on here. We know he's a musician, extremely popular. Uh, he wants out of this uh, financial relationships. He wants out of this marriage. And he's got a plan that night. He's going to get on an airplane with just tea. Ida Lupino, Marianne, and he's just put a whole bunch of pills in a thermos of coffee. And so then... uh, Sorry, I want to just jump in and mention what my wife said, because we were watching this together last ah, night. Which was, uh, when Johnny Cash pulled three pills out of his guitar case, she just started laughing. Like, that's all he's got? (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Cash, he's got like four pills in his pocket. She assumed assumed he must have taken all the other ones. (laughs) Where's the rest of my pills, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's that's why he's murdering angry. He would just be hurting them angry. Yeah, that's right. He had enough pills. Uh, oh, so please he, go on because I want to. I got to talk about the plane now that I'm right. No, we're, we're almost there. Up. So, so right. he, uh, he he makes sure he very specifically sends his uh, beloved guitar on the bus with Luke, but he and the other two they're taking the plane. So they go out to this uh, uh, tiny Bakersfield airport, and this they're driving up. And the one thing, uh, one thing that comes up over and over in this episode, this is the first instance of Sunday morning coming down playing in this episode. <laughs> it's on the guy's transistor radio, and this comes up like a million other yes, times this episode. That's um, our friend Jeff on the fl- who's listening to a tiny little transistor radio yes. on an airport flight line. Yes, and it's the all Tommy Brown station too. Yes, apparently. Right. Um, so they're. Uh, so, so get that sorted out. We have another instance. RJ, that sure. I think you said that you were, or you were researching that song, which is, by the way, I believe a great song, a really beautiful. Oh, it's song. a it's a wonderful yeah, yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. But it yeah. appears like three hundred times. Oh, in the it's episode. amazing. And and the yeah. final appearance of it in the episode is my favorite, which we'll get to. Yeah, um, but you you mentioned something to me that blew my fucking mind. Oh, that Ray Stevens. Who? Yeah, Ray yeah, Stevens. Yeah was the first guy to have a hit with that song because yeah. I was as number one a Chris Christopherson song because he wrote it right and it's a very Chris Christopherson oh, song it's that yes. kind of yeah. mopey singer songwritery poetic country yeah. song and number two a Johnny Cash song this is a big hit for him I never had the faintest idea that it was a Ray Stevens song at all let alone his first big hit. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I figured that was probably Ahab the Arab or something. <laughs> uh, I think you'll find it's the streak, Leonard. Oh, yeah, maybe. It, 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 seems, it seems physically yeah. impossible that a man that shallow could, could sing, sing that, that song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but uh, our friend at the airport's listening to it. Uh, Johnny Cash tries, tries to be cool to him, saying, like, oh, you, you take my uh, rental car. But they decide to give Ida Lupino's character another chance for you to really, really dislike him. It's like, no, I've watched the mileage. You don't take that car. So yeah. I don't know if they want the audience to be like, eh, I can see his point in killing her. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like what they're doing. It's like, oh, murder's terrible, but eh, she was kind of a jerk. 
Johnny well, Cash is already already such a likable rogue. You don't have to gussy up Idol no. Latino. No, you dick. don't. No. And also, yeah, they, they've already shown her as... The, they've already kind of made her a little... Yeah, she's know. already... She's already holding the man act over him. Yes. Yeah, that's another weird thing about the casting is that Ida Lupino had played villains many times in movies, but she was sort of Johnny Cash-ish in that yeah. regard. She always yeah. played a likable villain, you know, like she was a, she was bad, but she was really sassy and kind of, you know, she knew what she wanted and she wasn't going to let anything get in her way. So, you know, she, she you liked her even when she was a really bad, you know, villain in the in the movies. So for her to play such like a stuck up uh, uptight prude, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I know she was getting up there in years, but but I mean, they that's, that's kind of a, for that role, you know. But that's kind of a thing of the show, and I, I want to pay attention to that as we watch more of these, like the people who end up getting killed. You see, in like the first <coughs> half hour or so, they don't have a lot of time to really flesh them out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see like how many of them are this one dimensional, where it's yeah. like, well. Murder's bad, but you see why this person had to murder this guy or this lady let, or whomever, and it's just yeah. Can we jump that. ahead though, just a little bit, because she does get a great character piece that I only just now recognize. Oh, which one? What is it? Well, it's when they're in the plane, and uh, I'm <laughs> oh, sure you know, we'll go on the plane. We're, okay, on the plane. they're flying. Let me know we're at the plane, plane, and I'll tell you. Ida Lupino, I think, redeems herself a little bit before she goes. Let's let's get to the state of the art special effects. Yes, <laughs> the airplane. Yes, the the. Airplane lit in red. Uh, the weird little outside shots. The model planes were like uh, tilting back and forth, and he starts enacting his plan, which starts by turning off the cabin heater, so they get cold enough to want coffee. Yeah, well, that's luckily, a, is, even though it's terrible coffee, their standards. <laughs> their stand. I mean, she actually says like, "This is the worst coffee I've ever had." Why would she say it? She says that. And just, she says it like it's a plot point. Yes, a little bit. Like, it's like this matter. coffee's terrible, I'm going to throw it out, and then he has to do something else to kill her. But no, she's like, uh, I'm used to suffering, it helps my gospel music. And then she just drinks the coffee. Yes. So thank God her standards were lowered enough by the cold of the cabin and the airplane. Um, but here's uh, here's the scene where Ida Lupino, I think, redeems herself a little bit. How so? And I will, again... Up until this, until five minutes ago, I was watching it thinking she was the mother-in-law, and that uh, Marianne was her daughter, and mm. she was married to Johnny Cash. So I clearly was not paying sufficient attention. But that, there's a scene where they're crammed in the back of the of the airplane. It starts getting cold. They've taken the drugs. They're starting to pass out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's the girl's name again? Is it uh, Marianne? I said it is Marianne. Okay, so Marianne then kind of, like, starts to lean her head against Ida Lupino's shoulder. Yeah. And Lupino, and Lupino gives her a look at first, like, just utter annoyance and anger and, like, far more annoyance than I expected from a mother and daughter. So it's a little clearer now what happens is that she's pissed that, you know, she's married to Tommy Brown, mm-hmm. and Tommy Brown has been trying to plow Marianne. And now Marianne's trying to put her head on her shoulder, and she's kind of annoyed by that, but then she goes, oh, what the hell, it's cold, can you? and then she puts yeah. her arm around. Yeah. It's a uh, great bit. Okay, if I could say, John, probably what confused you yeah. is that when she's discussing how he's, she's blackmailing him, she makes it clear that he, when they were going around to hotels and doing their dirty business, 
mm-hmm. he would pretend that she, that Marianne was his wife. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's probably yeah, what Yeah, yeah. Okay. You say Mr. and Mrs. whoever. Yeah. 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 All right. You know, I got to say, though, even with this knowledge, I think I would have preferred it if she had been the mother-in-law because it would have given her a little more power over him. <laughs> it would have explained why she didn't have any southern accent, too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Also that. Also that. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That's my opinion. But what am I going to do? Go back in 40 years and change? Sure. Why this not? Episode? So one thing that uh, becomes clear later in the episode is that mm. this coffee that they this bad coffee that they just had to drink, mm. according uh, to Columbo, had oh, enough, there was enough barbiturates in it to kill, like almost to kill somebody. Three pills, right. and there were only three pills. Three pills? <laughs> what kind of barbiturates are these? Super and again, seventy. Well, no, like, they, they were nineteen seventy. They were nineteen seventies barbiturates. Yeah. I feel too then, like. Sure. There was That's enough in the coffee to kill someone. There's enough in the coffee to kill someone, but there's a lot they of co- make that would knock you out like that. <laughs> They're Johnny Cash barbiturates. Right. That's right. Yes, he had special ones. It says on the bottle, Johnny Cash strength. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a little cartoon Johnny Cash tipping his hat at it. Try my barbiturates. <laughs> Um, oh, uh, one, one like thing I noticed, on. too, like uh, the, the soundtrack uh, for the sequence is interesting because it, it's your standard kind of uh, 70s detective show, like strings and dramatic stuff. But there's also this like uh, mouth harp and banjo mm. in there, too. So like they're right. getting a bit of like the, the country music stuff in there, which is kind of nice. And that all kind of stays on there right up until Columbo driving up. Uh, first time you see Columbo is his car drives up and then that goes away until like towards the end of the episode. Probably Johnny Cash asked for that. Oh, maybe. Yeah, a, little, a, little mark, a little mouth harp in there. What a sound of that I don't feel comfortable with this score. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, they they fall asleep, sound asleep, and the uh, parachute he'd stuffed into this bag, he takes it out, puts it on, jumps out of the plane, the tiny, tiny plane, and that's it. The plane crashes, he falls to the ground, but he kind of smashes the heck out of his leg. Uh, not a good landing. Hides the parachute uh, quickly in a no, log no. with some hollowed out log with some leaves because a car starts coming by because a eh, car's going to notice a giant fireball, an explosion out in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. This is another place where I found the plot to be overly complex and implausible. Uh, yeah. Because I don't know a huge amount about small piloting or parachutes or anything. But when you jump out of a plane, and then the plane travels for a while and crashes... Yeah, I kind of wondered that, You're not going to land anywhere near the plane. You're going to be hundreds of feet or, like, miles away. Right. So Uh, how do you get all the way to the plane with a broken leg? Now, Leonard, you say you don't know a lot about jumping out of a plane, but thanks to the next hour of this episode... (laughs) You will learn a lot about how to jump out. I know a lot more than I used to. That's right. What about an irregular house? So he's, he's in terrible shape. He's struggling uh, to get to the plane, so it looks like, hey, I was in that plane that just crashed, everybody. Look, ha uh, He's out and, of breath. He's wearing running shoes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he collapses. Cuts commercial. Next thing we see, Columbo coming down the country road, and here we, uh, here we are. Uh, he arrives on the scene of the crash, uh, where someone from the NTSB is... Uh, Pangborn, Mr. Pangborn, the NTSB, is giving... An interview for what appears to be 
the meanest television crew <laughs> in the world. These people are huge jerks. Come on, Pangborn, hurry it up. I know, they're terrible. We're they're losing so the light, God damn it. Uh, so, Columbo, he just comes in, and he's, uh, he's, he's kind of doing his thing, because it's his job, uh, searching the site, and they have to stop it because some camera's like, ah, oh, there's a guy back there ruining the shot of this horrible disaster where two people were killed. Ah, oh, they ruined the beautiful, beautiful shot. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, we have people who just uh, come up to these crash sites all the time. And so the guy goes back to start upbraiding Columbo Forge. Such a looky Liz. Yeah. Like out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of Los Angeles Mountains. He just had me driving by. Um, so he introduced himself. That, uh, that Mr. Penguin, played by John Daner. One of the most prolific actors in Hollywood history. Oh, really? I didn't look his Yeah, uh, that guy has like 5,000 credits. Jeez, really? Yeah, he was was, a baritone John Daner, yeah. Yeah, he started out working for Disney, and then he did a shitload of westerns in the 40s and 50s. Nice. And then he basically did every television show that aired between 1955 and 1980. (laughs) He was on the Doris Day show for a real long time. And I think that's his like one regular appearance, and then everything yeah, he's else not he was regular just on anything. He was just this no. like if you needed somebody to play an older, gravitas filled guy called John Danner. Um. So, yeah, there's there's that thing. The guy goes back to the interview, and to me, I this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode, where the background sound is just this NTSB guy talking and talking and talking to the the uh, TV crew. But you just stay focused on Columbo thinking and figuring everything out. It's just—it's one of the reasons why Peter Falk was so good at this damn part. It's like it's—it's—it's it's, it's just really good stuff. I mean, and nobody, you know, and the NTSB at this point was apparently staffed by incompetence because they yes. just like poke around the crash scene, touching yeah. everything, moving everything. Right. Whereas Columbo, yeah. he notices the he notices the the seatbelt things. He notices the bag. There's no ashes. Right. He's, he's seeing all this stuff. And even the NTSB guy's like, oh, I, I didn't see that. And uh, one of my favorite lines, he pulls a notebook out and Columbus goes, oh, you got one of those too. Yeah, that was fantastic. That's a wonderful scene. So basically, Columbus threw a little shade, a little shade. So it, it, it just is a great thing of establishing like, oh no, this guy, he's, he, he's shabby. This kind of seems like he's just kind of rambling around. But no, he is actually the smartest one on the scene. He's the most competent one there. And it's just a really great way to just like write up his first appearance in the episode just tell me exactly who this guy is, what he does, and why he's good at it. Yeah. See, the scene has one of my favorite lines in it, too, is uh, when he's talking about why he doesn't like flying. Mm. Yes. And he says, uh, I don't even like being this tall. Yes. And, of course, uh, this is, during the sequence, they talk about, you know, how he was a famous singer and who had been involved in the crash. And, of course, he has to say uh, his wife's... He's not, he hasn't known that well, but his wife's Mrs. Columbo is a big fan. Of course. Of Tommy Brown, which comes up over and over in the series. And Mrs. Everything... Columbo was a fan of everything. Yes. And I've always kind of wondered if she was or not, or if that was just one of his little techniques. But at this home, something... she'd be like, I don't like, I don't, I've never listened to that guy's stuff. Well, I just had to say. Like, it's got to be a like mix. Him. It's, it's got to be a mix of both, I think. Yeah, yeah sometimes. I think, I think it was, I think it's established in Columbo a number of times that he just makes shit up. Oh yeah, no. This this episode, there's a lot of that too. Yeah, um, yeah there's a like there's an infuriating episode in the '90s, uh, which I do hope we get to eventually with um, uh, uh, Norm from Cheers, George Went mm-hmm. on it, which is easily the worst episode ever. But in that one, oh Columbo, gosh, I hope we do get to that one. It is awful, RJ. Um, but uh, 
there's a, a scene where Columbo really makes a point out of mentioning he does not speak Italian. He knows no Italian whatsoever. But in, an, in a 70s episode, he's absolutely Oh, famous. he speaks Italian oh, yeah. many times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like, and I think there's even some 90s episodes where he speaks Italian. So, obviously, he's lying there. But uh, we talked about, a long time ago, you and I talked about uh, whether or not even Mrs. Columbo was real, which, of course, she must, must be, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, but I like to think that Columbo's entire life is divided between police work and then just being the world's most indulgent husband. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, my yeah, wife definitely. took me to the opera, or my wife, my wife likes to go to the movies. So I right. go with her. You know? Yeah, I think that's that's all he does is just accommodates his wife. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that too because because she comes up so often, all the yeah. time. He, he does the initial uh, reconnoiter of the, uh, the actual crash scene, figures out, gets some pretty good clues. So then he goes on to talk to, because it turns out the entire homicide investigation has been uh, instigated by uh, Luke, the brother-in-law of the late Edna Brown, the late Ida Lupino. And so now Columbo's next uh, thing is to go and find Luke at the funeral home, where the funeral's actually happening today. Uh, for uh, I can't get over how the family name of these people is Basket. Yes, right. it's so strange, Luke Basket. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, that, and that, uh, that's you can't get. That's pretty damn southern. So you would think, yeah, Ida Lupino would have at least Luke, tried Luke a southern accent. Like if they didn't get some, if they didn't get a good actress to do the southern accent, they at least, I mean, Luke and Edna Basket. That's some southern ass names. Yes. Right yeah. <laughs> Um, so another one, uh, the first I think of a lot of just oddly uh, comic bits in this episode. Um, well, they don't go to the funeral home first. They go to his house. No, no, the house is after the funeral home because that makes it worse. Because yeah, he's having that party. He left the funeral right afterward to go have a huge party at his house. Hmm. So he goes to the funeral home. And yeah, that doesn't look bad at all. And, his and, wife and, and yeah. <laughs> the singers just died in a plane crash, and he has a huge pool party. And while killing time, uh, waiting for Luke Basket to come out of the funeral home, uh, he ends up talking to the funeral director for a long time. Funeral director, played by... Scotty. Vito Scotty, uh, the, the baker from The Godfather. Uh, he was in, I think, uh, several um, Columbo episodes, too. Playing the same kind of veteran, role, veteran character, TV character, actor. Uh, but for a long time, he just really, really tries hard to get Columbo to buy uh, funeral services because he's a cop and he'll die. Yeah, and well, plus just, you know, anybody who spends five minutes with Columbo has no problem thinking that somebody wants to murder him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing I noticed, and this is this is very immature of me, uh, but that, that episode outside of the, the funeral home, the, the fences. The ironwork has this weird shape where it looks like a whole bunch of dongs. Mm. It's very bizarre. I'll see if I can get a screen grab, <laughs> but it's really strange. I just like, wait, what? Why would they? Why would no one notice that? Like in the background the entire time, it's like, oh, if it's... we're going to post like screen caps of weird shit that we saw during this episode, I'm going to request that you get a photo of that whimsical jester painting on the wall in in their studio. Oh, that thing was weird. Yes, I remember That's that. Creepy looking. You know when they're talking when they're in the studio. Yeah, after, yeah, yeah. There's this weird jester painting on the wall that can only have been made in the '60s or '70s, yeah. and it just it drew my eye because it was so tacky. And looking. why would? But also, why would you have that in your studio? Because I'm I'm gonna go on a limb. If it's it's the '70s, you're gonna have a lot of musicians in there who are on stuff. And that's just going to freak them out. They're not going to be able to work. 
There'd be like have guys just like staring at that damn painting the whole time. Like maybe Marianne picked that one out. Yeah. Um, maybe they're maybe they're so high they think it's a portrait of Tommy Brown. Could could be. Yeah, they're so was high. It, all was anybody else disappointed that at no point in the episode did he say, "Hello, I'm Tommy Brown"? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm still I'm still cut short by the name. I think that is it. I know they're trying to go for the cadence of Johnny Cash. Yes, but it's, but it's, it's a strange. It seems like it's a real boring name. Yeah, and I I I did write up a list of alternatives that I'm going to be posting later to the Tumblr. But I I do think <laughs> you could have done better. Uh, Leonard, throw, I, here's here's one I had. Bobby Dollars. I think you could have called him Bobby Dollars. <laughs> Bobby Dollars. Uh, Kenny I was Quarters. Thinking of uh, I was thinking of Tommy Bucks. That's great, yeah. But that was was the name of a villain on Justified, so. Uh, How about Eddie Money? It's retroactively disqualified. Yeah, it's Eddie Money. Eddie Eddie Money. There you go. Yeah, Eddie Money. All right, so he picks up Luke at the funeral home after uh, holding off the uh, funeral director doing the hard sell on the funeral services. And Luke, he's hopping mad. He's convinced Tommy has murdered his sister. But he promises, you know what? I'll be cool. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make a scene. We'll just go to the house that Tommy rented right after the murders, and we'll see yeah. what they're doing. So they get to this house. It's in Los $2, Angeles. Two thousand dollars a month. Two thousand dollar a month house. They go to the backyard. Yeah, do you know what two thousand dollars a month is going to get you in L.A. right now? Uh, closet. <laughs> yeah, maybe downtown apartment in you know Oxnard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this thing huge, huge party in the backyard. And once again, it's uh, Johnny Cash, full band. They're singing Sunday Morning Coming Down. And the ladies in the bikinis, they love an uplifting love party song like Sunday Morning Coming Down. They love it. And there's a buffet with squirrel chili. Squirrel meat squirrel chili. chili. I love that scene, man. Which, that was which I think is great because you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a running gag in Columbo that uh, Columbo was a man who loves his chili. I never had chili like this just, Like, oh, well, that's because it was squirrel. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, that's uh, he's polite about it, though. But yeah, that's a that's a weird inversion to the Colum- the standard Columbo affect because usually he uh, he complains that everything around him is too rich, right? That's one of his offsetting tactics, right? Like I could, he goes to a restaurant and he'll uh, like I'll just have a ketchup sandwich or whatever, yeah, and then he'll get the bill for like four dollars and he'll go nuts because four dollars in nineteen seventy five is a million dollars, <laughs> yes. But here, this this is the first time I've ever seen a Columbo where he's actually eating something poor people would eat. No, he eats... and, and that once again. Well, I mean, at at the, oh, oh, I at the, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at the rich person's house, he's eating something poor people would eat. Yeah, that's, that's that, was, that was a little bit that uh, that set off my southern inauthenticity alarm. <laughs> because if a southerner is eating something with squirrel meat in it, it's not chili; it's Brunswick oh. stew. Oh well, nice, nice. But they had to use the chili because it's Colombo. They had to try right now because they, you know, their love audience, of chili uh, had been turned into something horrible and awful. Yeah, their audience is not dumb hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, it's also too- weird they're having like a super sexy pool party with chili. Yes. Well, the thing is, I mean, it was a big buffet, and that's another uh, Colombo thing too. He'll he'll he'll, he'll show up. Don't eat the chili in a pool. <laughs> he'll show up at crime scenes or stuff like that, and if there's a buffet. Or there's been some affair and there's leftover hors d'oeuvres. He's never had lunch and he always wants to eat something. It seems like he happens yeah, all yeah. the time. I get the feeling that Columbo's one of those guys who, like, he, when he goes to a party, he puts food in his pockets to take home. 
Yeah, he's oh, done sure. that. Oh yeah, he's done. He's actually yeah. done that on a few episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to him. I'm sure. We'll see it. Columbo just uh, taking rolls, rolls and crab puffs. <laughs> there's a there's like, a great one in Columbo. one of the uh, one of the Patrick McGowan episodes. He has a great bit where he takes food from the buffet. <laughs> it actually it actually just like arcs over 25 minutes. It's gorgeous. <laughs> um. So of course Luke makes a scene just yelling, yelling, breaking up the music. Uh, yelling at Johnny Cash that he murdered his sister, et cetera, et cetera. So, Columbus... just determined to ruin all the good times everybody's having at this wake. I know they're the wonderful good times uh, singing Sunday morning coming down. And just well, Luke's got to make a scene because he's about to go, man. We're about to like not see Luke again. Yeah, no, Luke Bucket. He's he's getting fired. He's fired. He's done. He's gone. Basket, basket, Luke, basket. Luke. Sorry, Luke, basket, bucket, basket. Eh. Right. They use them both down south. Um. So then you have. How did that sound like a slam? What? That really sounded like you were putting down Southerners, and I can't figure out why. A bus, bus, yeah, they, they use they, they use, use buckets those, and baskets, those hicks. Well, we yeah. use them in Philadelphia too. I mean, everybody uses buckets. They really use them, though. If you know what I mean. Oh my god! <laughs> Again? Yeah, screw it. We don't need any Southerners listening to this podcast. I'm sorry. Once again, we lose half our audience in the yeah. episode. Uh, the, the huge uh, legions of Columbo fans. Down below the Mason Dixon line. Uh, so then we There's finally a, have the introduction. That's a slam. The, the meet of uh, Columbo and Johnny Cash. And uh, I love the way Johnny Cash pronounces homicide. <laughs> homicide. 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 Why is there a homicide detective here? How do you talk about homicide? I, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, it was so very, I don't know, they were really putting that on a bit thick, I thought. Oh, uh, it's like an alien race. RJ just cannot even conceive of it. I can't conceive of the, the deep south, the American anything, south. Yeah, anything south of, like, Allentown is... <laughs> <laughs> well, even that. Even that's getting a little, like, all right already. Put put away your string ties, all right? Jeez. Allentown. You've, made, you've, uh, you've moved over quite a bit of the country, but it's all been lateral, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it was just from the middle to the edge. That's yeah, it. RJ has moved from white to bread. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Philadelphia. It's a diverse city. <laughs> yeah, that did seem like a bit of a slam, and yet it's been reversed. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to keep track of how the slams are going tonight, and we'll put that up on the blog. All there. right, yeah, we'll keep, uh, we'll send that into the... Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, I want to yes, yes. get to the... So, get so to the we've got, so we've got then, finally Columbo is able to uh, start questioning Johnny Cash, and it, it, this has uh, such a great example of something they do so well with this character where he just is always deflecting like crazy, saying, we were wondering about the navigation kit. Uh, Mr. Pangborn wondered about this. I'll tell him this. Like, he never yeah, takes it on himself. Downtown, yeah. he, throws, but, he throws them off so much. It happens a bunch of other times in this episode, where he's just always doing, like, oh, my superiors are wondering this. I don't want to do this, but I got to ask you this. Just yeah, it's a beautiful example of the dynamic. And the, yeah. the way that it works is that, like, so beautifully in this episode, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that almost immediately he's posed himself as, like, Johnny Cash's ally. Right, yes. Like, I'm on your side, man, you know. Yeah, I, I don't want to be doing this, but I got to do this to wrap up the loose yeah. ends. Like, I got all this to paperwork. The, to, the point that, to the point that at a, certain, at a certain point in the episode, like, 
he's saying, well, what can I tell my bosses to yes. get them on back? Yes. Oh, that's a fantastic technique to get Johnny Cash to lie creatively. Yes. Tom, Tommy and Brown. It also leads to another one of my favorite things, which is that Johnny Cash starts calling him little buddy. Yes. <laughs> that, made, that made me think of an alternate cosmology where on Gilligan's <laughs> Island, it was Columbo and Johnny Cash instead of Gilligan the Skipper. <laughs> I would watch that program. Me too. That would be amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you. <coughs> um, so that yeah, like coconut radio coming, little buddy. <laughs> I was trying to put the radio together. I just, I, it, I think, oh, it went wrong, Skipper. Yeah. <coughs> uh, so I got their question. I think Johnny Cash has an answer for every single thing he brings up. So you tell he's thought it through. He's thought through all of his lies very well. Uh, the why did the guitar go on the bus? Oh, the pressure would have ruined the guitar. Look at this. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Why Why did you do this? Oh, I was just a bad, bad pilot. I wasn't thinking. I reached over uh, to do some switch or something, and that knocked things over, and that's when things went crazy. Like, he's got an answer for everything. That was another one of my favorite bits in there, is that when he was explaining what happened to the navigation maps. Yes. He said the window opened, and they all flew uh, out. Yeah, they, got, yeah. they, got pulled out. They got pulled out the window because of the suction. And Columbo is making a note in his little book, and he says, big suction. (laughs) And I thought, thought, now he's going to go investigate some industrial firm called Big Suction. You know, like pharmaceutical or, you know, big big business. It's Big Suction is behind this. As as lies go, he may as well have said he opened the window and a dog came in. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, well, so, sky dogs ate my thermos. <laughs> <laughs> ate the thermos. Ate all my flight. Well, fi- well, he finally finds out. my belt. <clears throat> he finally finds out about the thermos uh, next because Johnny Cash thinks like, "Oh, I've covered everything." So then Columbo actually has to fly to Bakersfield. Which, Some of the best acting in the show was that scene where he gets off the plane. Because yeah, he's he's terrified. He's already said he hates flying. Doesn't like being that tall. He gets off the plane. Uh, the police pilot is just amused by the whole thing. But throughout the entire scene, he keeps it up, still looking like he's feeling ill from the flight. Yeah. He never recovers yeah. from it, which is great. So he goes to, uh, who's the, what was the name of the guy that helped him on the airplane? He goes, he finds uh, that dude. Jeff. Who's, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. He's kind of like a poor man's Bruce Dern a little bit. <laughs> and I'm of assuming, course, I'm he goes up. And, and what's playing on the radio as he goes up to him again? Sunday morning saw, coming down. Is was it, it Sunday morning coming down or was yes. it I saw the light that time? No, it's Sunday morning coming down is playing on the right. radio again. It apparently that station in Bakersfield plays just that song over and over and over again. And that's when Columbo finds out about the thermos bottle that he hadn't heard about before at all. Which is a big piece of stuff. So then, he, so then we cut back to Johnny Cash at the house, and he's putting the booze on another young, young lady. And it's so creepy. So very, very creepy. It's like, what, a day or two days after his wife has been killed? Like he's murdered his wife? Yeah, he's ready to he get def- her back in the slot, Marianne Slot. So he's it's- definitely got such a chum rape vibe going on. Oh, yeah, it's creepy. Uh, it's, not, it's not even like date rape. It's just, it's just sidling up to her. He has that line about, she has to go buy a bunch of stuff, and then he he ends with and go buy yourself something nice or something like that. Yeah. No, says, uh, oh, no get, get back a list of what you need. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do for you. Yes. Do for you for making. Oh, it's so good. super gross. Oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible, <clears throat> creepy thing, and there's just nothing likable. They they suck. And yeah, anything where you feel like, oh well, he did have a bad situation. He shouldn't have killed people. They just completely suck all of it out. 
as it that goes actually on, is gonna that worse, scene i think worse. is what ruins the ending of the episode for me. oh about him being a good oh well yeah okay yeah, okay yeah we'll get because he yeah, tries yeah. to be a good yeah we'll get to it yeah we'll get to there. A that's guy. a good point yeah uh, so colombo comes in uh while this girl is there so it gives her a reason to you know, get away from the tentacles uh colombo leaves johnny cash gets on the phone and he has this long thing talking about how they're canceling the uh, project to build the tabernacle. So that means he'll, he'll get the five million bucks for it. And then you hear Columbo say, uh, excuse me, sir. And he's just started because he thought he was gone. And it's just this nice thing where uh, then Johnny Cash is kind of saying like, oh, well, you probably heard that on the phone. And Columbo's thing for you is like, oh, that's okay. I talked to the architects this morning. Which to me is great because it implies like you see him doing this stuff in the episode, but when it's you the don't... first time that he tips that he's a lot smarter than Johnny Cash is giving him yes, credit. Yes, but the other thing yeah. I like too is that Columbo <laughs> is doing all sorts of crazy investigating shit you never see in these episodes. Like who knows how many other people he talked to that morning before he went to see Johnny Cash? But that one's great because the look on his face and the way he says it is like I've got you. Yeah, I talked to him this morning. I already knew that. I'm like five steps ahead of you, and then he just leaves. And Johnny it's Cash an interesting... is shaken. Yeah, it's an interesting bit because from that point on, Tommy Brown starts being a lot more guarded in the episode. Right. Yeah. But it's it's, it's too late. Columbo's already doing all the legwork, and in yeah. fact, the the next like three scenes are going to be Columbo doing legwork pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Because the next one, which is another just weird comic sequence, which is really strange, and oh, going colonel. to see going to see the yeah. deaf Air Force guy, John Randolph, and that is such a weird, weird scene because it just. I mean, it, it, it's they don't really say like, "Oh, you're deaf." No, he's just he's yelling from the get go, and the guy can't hear him, and he's just this very stereotypical '50s kind of military guy, just yelling and addled and confused. Yeah, and I was saying like it, it felt like he likes Tommy Brown because he doesn't play that degenerate, degenerate stuff, like the twist, <laughs> not the twist stuff, not the degenerate. Oh no, no, sir, it's 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 nice stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, full- it, it's. Folk music. He felt yes. like the he felt like the kind of huh. character who he walked out of Doctor Strange life. Yes, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it just doesn't fit with the rest of it at all. It's so strange. Well, and he gets really wonder... steamed at people using his phone. He's <laughs> I also so wonder how much of that was using the telephone. I also wonder how much that was improv. Yeah, I kind of yeah because it seemed like John it. Randolph is like famously <clears throat> a big lefty, <clears throat> and I'm wondering if he was you know kind of riffing on the idea of a of a dopey authority figure in the military. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. yeah, but it, it was it was it was it's a very it's funny I like it but it just seems so odd dropped in the middle of all of this. Um, so yeah, he gets the information he finds out that uh, Johnny Cash uh, was actually kind of an expert on parachutes back in the uh, back in the Korean War, and so then he goes next to the studio where of course they're singing "I Saw the Light," the, one of the only two songs yeah, they were allowed to use in this episode. Uh, it's got the uh, creepy gesture painting. And um, I can't tell if he's his manager or producer, but alongside Johnny Cash is John Sorrow Book, who spends most of the scene just staring intently next to Johnny Cash at Columbo, hovering like a sweating pink zeppelin. (laughs) Yes, it's so in the corner of the frame. It's so weird. Just like everybody else in that scene, wearing an awesome '70s style coat. Yes. I was. It was his glasses that I was mostly. Yeah, drawn the glasses to. were amazing. They're insane. Yeah, yeah, they look like the. They look like windshields from a helicopter. Yeah, yeah uh, me too. And he has. Does does he have more than one line? Uh, I think. It, I barely I, remember him having one. Couple. All All I remember him saying. Oh no! Is he just Col- says. 
that the song's number one on the charts, I think. Or he agrees the when, song's number one on the charts. Or something. When Columbo asks for a copy of the live performance, Sorrel Book says, it'll be in stores. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's the only line I remember. I think I think when Columbo says, like, oh, the song's number one on the charts, he says something like, hey, oh, yeah. you're listening, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's just, like, weirdly happy, but it's kind of a menacing, consumable happy. Yeah, it's, it's very a, strange. He puts a lot into that character that we never I get know. to see again. It's, Plus, it's he's just... trying to chisel poor Columbo out of the costume. <laughs> <laughs> I know! Well, not even a record! A single! There's only one song in that cassette tape. Yeah. That's it! It'll be in stores in January. Come on, man, it's a murder investigation. I know! Well, he does... Well, he's... Well, that's, really another, thinking... that's another great Columbo thing. He he gets it. It doesn't seem like it's under the investigation. It seems like it's just like, oh, I want a copy for myself and my wife. Because it sounds, it sounds different than the original version. They're like, oh, you got to go to here. Because they I think, think he's just Book's, some idiot. Cyril Book's just thinking, i got to walk down to the fucking Rite Aid. Buy a cassette tape. <laughs> I'm not supposed to drink any soda, but they got cold sodas, and it's a hot day, and I'm probably going to buy a soda, and that's going to be 30 cents. Mm-hmm. He's probably just booking all that stuff in his head. It's going to be a long walk. Middle of the summer, I guess. Oh, and, and another thing, weird thing to me too. In this, in the middle of the scene, in front of all the people in the studio, uh, recording equipment, Johnny Cash. I would bring this. Okay, if someone had exhumed, um, my my uh, my late wife and employee, I would maybe kind of maybe in a corner of the room, it's like, why why'd you do that? As opposed, to like, so you exhumed my wife. Marianne, yeah. huh? Just, just yelling it. Sorry, dug up the corpse of my recently dead wife. Yes, he just find any murder traces of from me. Yeah. Which, yeah, he, he brings up the the uh, barbiturates, and uh, then Johnny Cash gives some weak excuse like, "Oh, well, you know, they they would get kind of airsick, so he's sleeping pills." And it's it's one of these another really good Peter Falk Columbo thing, where you know he knows it's bullshit, and he just says like, "Oh, really? Oh, well." That explains that. And he yeah. just kind of leaves it at that. And you know that he knows, and he knows that, yeah, that he's just completely lying. He doesn't believe him like an inch. And it's just a really fun thing. Well, you know, he's... sleeping pills are pretty much the same as air sickness pills. Yeah, nobody <laughs> thinks yeah, that. that. That's yeah. not... Heroin is basically a good way to knock out somebody. You know, really, cyanide and, you know, <laughs> iced tea are really the same things. So before we get too far away from this scene, though, uh, sure. I looked up some interesting trivia about Sorrel Book, and I wanted to share it, because these, these two things endear me to him tremendously. Uh, Leonard knows this one. His, his wife mm-hmm. was named Miranda Knickerbocker. Oh. And okay. he, has, he has two children. Yes. Nicholas and Alexandra. Nicholas Knickerbocker. <laughs> Nicholas Knickerbocker. Oh, man. But I mean... Huh. Nick- Knickerbocker book. Yeah. Uh, but Nicholas and Alexander. Hmm. Also, he spoke five languages. No, that's a weird thing. My, 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 my dad had this odd thing, like, when I was growing up, like, whenever people on television were really smart or immediate, like, he always brought up the fact, constantly, that, oh, well, you know, uh, Chris Christopherson, he, he's a Rhodes Scholar. Yes, you've mentioned that a bunch of times. And whenever I was, when I was a kid, I loved watching the Dukes of Hazard. And he'd bring up, well, you know, uh, the guy who plays Boss Hogg, he's actually uh, really, really smart in real life. He's not dumb. Like, okay. Oh, you know, he's actually a genius in real life. Oh, okay. Uh, the fat, yelling southern guy. Okay. Oh, he's actually very smart. He knows a lot of language. Okay. Now, did, you put, did you put another mark on the slamming the south tote? I know. I just saw it right there. It was weird. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's like, obviously you understand that 
actors are not the characters they portray. And right. He's kind yeah. of clever to be an actor. But there is kind of a step beyond, yeah, he's not as dumb as he plays, and he speaks five genius. languages. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he was in counterintelligence. Right, he's, yeah. Like, that's madness, but it's awesome. Yeah. Do you think anybody, like... <clears throat> I don't know how active a spy he was, but I do like the idea of one of like some Russian agent he managed to like completely flummox is watching the Dukes of Hazard one night. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, it's Agent Yardbird or whatever his name is. It's just, oh, that's the man who took the plans. I know I should not have trusted Boss Hog. <laughs> that was his coping. Um, so after he leaves the city, oh, oh wow, well, yeah, then he goes to um, the Lost Souls Crusade headquarters to talk to the odd lady who was in charge of making their uniforms to find out that... It was a tragic scene, man. It was a really weird scene. These, these ladies are just there, I think. Nobody ever talks to them. They just dump <laughs> out these choir uniforms over and over again. This is where yeah, he finds out... Work. This is where, you know, he finds out, of course, that uh, Johnny Cash had stolen a whole bunch of the fabric to make his... You know, a little parachute for the plot. But one of the weirdest it's things just, is this. The, the scene about her husband being Italian, the line about her husband being Italian right. is so odd. Where She kind of she kind of out-Columbo's Columbo. A little bit, yeah. She, but there's no... There. She says, uh, when he says that he's a policeman, she goes, uh, you're not from the Vice Squad, are you? I don't remember having a good time. I know, yes, there's that weird little thing. But, like, what, what is but that? Also, like, they I want to know that story. She's got Alzheimer's or something. Like, <laughs> yes. Like she, that especially right at the end, she's like, "Does this happen to everybody that you forget?" Like, oh all yeah, the, right. That bit about it, it just does get took on such a tragic dimension, you yes. know. I think she's wonderful, and it's like it, I think what that serves to do, though, like in the larger picture of Columbo, is it underlines why people underestimate him because oh, right. he's he's basically indistinguishable from this daffy old broad working like sewing gospel costume. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so people yeah. just don't think he'll be able to actually figure out that they yeah, put Barbara Schwitz in the thermos and crashed a tiny plane. Yeah, If she showed up in a murder investigation, she might say the same things Columbo does. Right, but he's got something behind it. But he's got something behind it. She's just getting old and losing her mind. Yeah. And her husband's half Italian. Yes, yeah, a Columbo. Oh, my husband's half Italian. A wonderful man, too, just the way Italians are supposed to be. Supposed to be. <laughs> okay, all right, then. You feel like there's another story there. She's seen The Godfather. Yeah, it, it's a really yeah. So he's so then he uh, it, uh, goes to some sort of airport type place. I don't know. Watch a guy like stuff like a slightly equivalent size um, parachute into the same size case that Johnny Cash would use to figure that out. And so right there, he knows he did it, and now he's got to figure out how to get not uh, actually trap the guy. But fun, it turns out Johnny. Ca- I'm sorry. Fun fact about that scene. Yes. It, it lasted four and a half hours. Yes. That was an oddly, yeah. Well, I don't. It was just expensive. It was strangely tense, though. Like, considering yeah. the whole plot behind it was Columbo is waiting to see if this guy gets on a plane or doesn't get on a plane. Oh, oh you're talking about that. Oh, we're almost at the Oh, no, no. We're, we're just we're at the, the, the part where the guy's stuffing the parachute in and Pangborn oh, okay. still, still doesn't believe him. Right. Well, that just was weird, and yeah, I don't know. Did you did you get the feeling Pangborn didn't believe him, or did you just think Pangborn really appreciated all the work? I like seeing it close up. That's how I felt about Pangborn. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, felt like he was just really interested in watching Columbo work. I think that was a little bit, but also I think a little bit. He just you know he's, he's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to prove it, so good luck. 
Pangborn is a guy who's used to professional defeats. Yes, that, yeah, I think that's it. I think he's just kind of like, yeah, well, you're not going to do it, but yeah, God bless you. Uh, so he finds out Johnny Cash is actually planning to uh, leave on a four-month tour of the U.S., uh, first of all, flying up to San Francisco, and this throws Columbo. He didn't expect him to do this. He expected him to, like, kind of, well, stick around and not get away with murder. And so he follows Johnny Cash to the airport, and, yeah, like Leonard said, does a horrible job of hiding in the airport, the point where Johnny Cash waves across the, air, the terminal and goes like, Hey, Columbo! Columbo. Hey, Columbo! He starts buddy. laughing buddy like a maniac, buddy. laughing like a maniac, waving him over, and just pretty much trying to make Columbo uncomfortable and look like an idiot. Hey, Leonard, you, uh, Leonard, you might know Johnny Cash's timeline better here. Was he was he sober yet? I don't think so. But in uh, 1974? Jeez. Yeah, he... Because well, here's my question about that scene, is how high does he Cash's look? sobriety... It operated in fits and starts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I I don't know if I could pinpoint it. Like there was a period in the seventies where he he had been clean and got unclean mm-hmm. again. Um, but if your question is was Johnny Co- was Johnny Cash loaded with coke in that scene? I would say no. Okay. I would say no. he was All probably right. clean for the filming of that episode. But but yeah. like, like, like any but like any good method actor, he was able to rely. Upon past yeah. sense memories of what it would be like to act that way, I'm sure. He did a great job of playing a guy who was identical to Johnny Cash except for killing people. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, that scene, though, he seemed like he was goofy and crazy and wacky or something. I don't know. It was just, Oh, yeah. this, that speaks well to Johnny Cash? The idea that he really did believe that Columba was his pal, you know, and was on his side. You think that was it? No, it seemed like a kind of confrontational. Scene. It seemed like, yeah, I think he was being confrontational about it. Like he, because he had in his head what he was going to be doing to get around this and get away from him. So he's trying to be like overly gregarious, and also, yeah, I think trying to make Columbo look like a fool in front of this all of these people and have lots of witnesses to all of this and have lots of witnesses. To the fact all those, that all those he's ten leaving. people at the airport, yeah, which it wasn't the most convincing airport set, but yeah. <laughs> um, but then, so he's uh, so Columbus is watching, and this is my favorite, and I think final instance of Sunday morning coming down, where in the twenty attempts he has going back and forth through the metal detector and emptying out his pockets over and over, he's just mumbling Sunday morning coming down. Singing to himself in the he's, he's singing it to himself, emptying change, emptying the keys, emptying everything in the dish, going, and the beer that I was drinking. I actually looked this up because my <laughs> feeling was it must have been like the only reason for that is because it must have been a hit at that time. No, it was before was this that. Was trying to sell it? It was but before no, that. It was from like four years before that. Yeah, yeah. no, it was. It had plenty of hits subsequently. Yeah. So I don't. I, maybe he just really liked that song. Could like, be, or that was the one he was able to use. It. I don't know. It was, yeah. That was just part of his, you know, what he asked for to do the episode. He's like, all right, I'll do it, but I, you got to let me sing Sunday Morning Coming Down about 40 times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he gets on the plane. Columbo thinks he's lost him. Uh, the rookie cop who's been driving him around uh, has to call in back to the station, puts his keys in the thing, and Columbo slaps his head, and we cut to nighttime. Johnny Cash. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, uh, nighttime. Uh, Johnny Cash going out to the woods, frantically looking 
for the shoot because Columbo had convinced him the next day a bunch of Boy Scouts would be looking for that damn thermos. He figures he has to get it out. He finds the log, gets it out, going back to his car, headlights turn on, there's Columbo. Waiting for him the whole time, he'd been sitting on a rock. Knew he'd be coming back. And how did he know he'd be coming back? Because going on a four-month tour, he kept his car rental keys. And Columbo noticed it at the metal detector. But here's the... You know what, though? Hmm. We established really early in that episode that that Tommy Brown is super liberal with his rental cars. Maybe he would keep a rental car for four months. You know, that's true. So that would... You know what? Yeah, you should have based it on that. I found a hole in the plot. Oh, my God. Do you remember... uh... Do you remember Columbo's line when Johnny Cash asked him if he knew? Mm-hmm. Oh, what was it? Just a beautiful line. He goes, I knew, and then I didn't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Knew. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a really well-delivered line, I thought. And, and this whole exchange between the two of them at the end of the episode is another thing I like about this show, because more often than not, it's not something where, like, oh, you dirty, lousy copper, you got me. Usually... The person is kind of resigned to it, like, yeah, you got me. That's it. I'm I'm screwed. I did it. You got me. Like, there's is very rarely is it any sort of, like, angry uh, sort of fight about it. The person just kind of just, eh, it's over. Yeah, either, either they give up, like, they're relieved to have the pressure off of themselves, or they're really proud of what they did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, like, that's the dividing, the dividing line between... Whether the person is being portrayed as inherently good or inherently bad, right? And Robert Culp uh, seemed to always play the ones who were proud of it. Oh, he always proud of it. He was always proud. There's, of a, it. there's a weird one. Uh, Billy Connolly in a in a nineties episode, yeah, uh, is one of the resigned types, uh-huh. but he is completely evil for the whole episode. Oh, so it's it's baffling that he gives up so gracefully. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, so, but no, so, this is also the scene, yeah, where John yeah, yeah. Cash says, um, "What's? Do you have the line written down?" Uh, yeah. I got it written down, but it was something where, like, a uh, Columbo said, "You know, he figured he would have turned himself in eventually because he seems like you know a guy who can sing uh, like that can't be all bad." And Johnny right. Cash says, "Like, you know, it was tearing him up inside that he probably, yeah, would have eventually given up." Which is maybe something they should have shown. Yeah, they didn't yeah. at some point during the episode. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that part where he was being super super chum rapey to the uh, the assistant kind of like undercuts that whole scene. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, you write down a list of what I can do for you. So that's little the, buddy. So that's the episode. That is um, uh, Swan Song. Uh, yes. What did you guys What did you guys think of it? Did you like it? Do you think it was pretty good? Do you think it it, it holds up well over the uh, intervening Leonard? decades? Leonard, you, would you like to go first? Uh, I thought it was a... I mean, when you're asking that question about a Columbo a- episode, you have to sort of approach it two ways. The mystery itself was kind of garbage because, you know, like I said, the plot was way too... You know, the murder plot was way too elaborate. Mm-hmm. There was tons of padding in how he went around figuring it out. You know, like the like the scenes where he just spends all that time you know, dicking around, you know, trying to trying to piece these minute little details that don't make any difference together. You know, just in terms of being a mystery, it was not all that great. But the character interaction between him and Johnny Cash was fantastic. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. And there were lots of great little bits, you know, like the scene with the colonel and, uh, 
you know, the, you know, Pangborn's character just being this kind of grisly old pro, you know, and, uh, you know, so in terms of the character stuff, it was terrific. So, you know, all, overall, I would judge it a pretty successful episode, as long as you don't think too closely about the dumb plot. Okay. Uh, John? Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm with Leonard. The plot is, is absolute garbage. And there's <laughs> so much padding in it that it becomes kind of irritating. Yeah. So that as excited as much as I love every single one of the of the uh, of the character actor bits, I felt like that was it was it was uh, uh, an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, that's not what it means. What is? How do you say something that was like too much of a good thing? I uh, guess I'd say you say it's, it's too, much, too much of a good thing. Uh, that's the phrase I'm going to use. Too okay. much of a good thing. But no, I feel like like Lucille Meredith uh, should have been an ep- in one episode as an aside by herself. Uh, uh, even Pangborn should have been in an episode by himself. Maybe not like obviously like the central character, but if you're going to have three asides, that's a lot of asides. Yeah. And uh, no, but the, yeah, the character interaction between Cash and and Falk is terrific. Uh, it's, it's just so much padding. I got to give it if we're going to give it like a like a an out of ten rating, maybe seven and a half. Maybe it's a, like a C, a C plus. A C plus. There's a I, lot. Of, there's a there's a lot going on in it, but I just I feel like as if it was kind of a kind of a wash. I I think yeah I agree with you. Like the the mystery itself is kind of yeah. There's it's just a really weird way to kill people. Um, <laughs> Imagine mean, if he was a serial killer. I know just a little tiny method. small point. This guy is a terrible pilot. It's a fifth one this year. It's always yeah, people it, who were as it was it was money. mentioned in the episode. You know they sort of touched on this with both. Pangborn and the Colonel is that crashing a plane that you're in is a very high risk form of yes, murder. yeah. I mean, he did he pulled it off, but barely. The odds that you're also going to die are very high. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about like this. this it's already established that Johnny Cash is a uh, a convict, right? Why didn't you just go hire some low life to blow the lady's head off in an alleyway or something? Right, yeah. It's just such an elaborate plan and with such, I mean, I know that the risk to himself was part of his alibi, mm-hmm. you know, but still, I mean, he could easily have landed on his head instead of his ankle. Right. Or, right. or, or in a tree, get impaled by something. Yeah. It's there. The, the, the parachute could have gotten caught in the propeller. Who knows? What? Yeah, even when they're talking to the parachute guys and he's explaining like, yeah, if you, you'd be falling about 20 feet per second. Oh, right. Yeah. With this, with this adjusted harness, and Columbo says, "Is that dangerous?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, basically, it's super dangerous. Yeah, it's almost yeah. fast enough to kill you, right?" <laughs> basically, was, you would was, mostly that die. Desperate, that desperate to get out of this situation and get five million dollars <laughs> to risk that. Um, I mean, I think yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with that, and yeah, I think it does kind of go a bit too much on the wacky side bits for whatever reason. But what I like about this one, this I think this episode has a lot of really really good examples of uh, what, the, what the writers and what Peter Falk did with this character and, like, a lot of his weird little techniques and tricks that he would use on the suspects. I think it's got a, like, it's, it's a perfect example of the way Columbo is and just the rest of the, and the stuff around him is just kind of a little weird and cockamamie, slightly. And it's, it's not a show where you had, like, oh, very serious, very plausible murders every single week, but this one seemed even kind of stranger. A little bit. On the other hand, I think in terms of Columbo being Columbo, it was oh, pretty good. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, that's what oh, I, yeah. that's, that's what I meant. Like, 
it, it, this is a perfect example of that character and the way that character works and how the character does what he does. It's just that he was doing it on a really weird case, sort of. Yeah, that's that's maybe another thing that all the, the character bits was kind of stressing me out is you pick any of them. You do Vito Scotti's bit or uh, 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 why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Lucille Meredith mm. or John Randolph's bits. You were you had quirky Columbo hanging out with some quirky extra. Oh yeah, and the line you're trying to underline is yeah, Columbo's got these quirks, but he's got it for a reason. He's got a, a deeper internal life, and he's doing he's acting this weird for uh, for a, a point. Right. He's trying he's trying to solve a murder. These other people are just wacky. You do that three times, you've made the point. Yeah, that could have been better served. Can I just say, that it was, I just say John, that it was adorable. That you said, oh, why am I blanking on Lucille Meredith's name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I like, said her name like five you know, times. You know, this woman with like 10 TV credits over the last 30 years. How could I have forgotten the her world name? world famous Lucille Meredith. Oh, cool, where's I've, my head? I've researched her so much. I've researched her so much for this episode. And Goodness I just gracious. Her. her character's name is Jean the Seamstress, by the way. Oh, good. She has a spinoff. She has a spinoff on NBC. During the Fred like Silverman Con- years. It's like Conan the Barbarian. Gene the Seamstress. Well, okay, so it, it was, wasn't the best of Columbo episodes, but it was a good example of Columbo. Worth, worth watching, though. I'd yeah, say. yeah, definitely worth watching. If only just to see Johnny Cash uh, be a murderer on a mystery show, yeah. which that never, ever happened again. So, yeah. <laughs> you guys noticed that the writer of this episode was uh, one of the guys who wrote a huge number of Batman episodes? Really? Oh. Really? Or Batman 66. Oh, sorry, a- yes. That's, that's the name of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now we know Leonard's view is not Batman 66. All right, well, that is Just One More Thing. Uh, you can listen to all episodes of Just One More Thing at thecitydesk.net slash just one more thing, or follow us on Tumblr at teamcolomo.tumblr.com. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. Thank you very much, Leonard Pierce, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Oh, oh, one more thing. Can yeah. I make a very selfish suggestion? Oh, sure, sure. Um, I think that mm-hmm. if, we're gonna, if, if episodes are going to have titles... Yes. Uh, ...and the titles are going to be drawn from the, from the subject under discussion, as was the case with uh, Wasted, Wasted Words, words yeah. and with many podcasts, of course, uh-huh. I think this episode should be called Candy Hawkers and Picture Sellers. <laughs>